0: So last week, let me recap, if you weren't here a little bit. We were in chapter one, and we literally just walked through all of chapter one. And the kind of centerpiece or the focal point of chapter one is simply, we were chosen before the foundations of the earth, holy and blameless before God. So this simply means before you ever had a past, before you ever had an opportunity to make a mistake or make make a mess of your life or make some decisions that you really regretted, it says, if you are in Christ, you are chosen holy and blameless. You are redeemed, you have an inheritance, and ultimately that your salvation is sealed in Christ. And today, the central theme as we walk in chapter 2, the central idea or the central theme of chapter 2 is simply life, that God gives us life. But in order to understand the fact that God gives us life, we first have to understand death that um, we were dead in our sins and there was absolutely nothing that we could do to attain life on our own. So let me set it up with this. How many of you guys have ever heard the phrase, and maybe many of us actually think it's in the Bible. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, God only helps those who help themselves? Anybody ever heard that? God only helps those who help themselves. Some of you this morning are probably like, I'm sure that's in the Bible somewhere. Actually, this was a Greek phrase that came out of um, Christianity, but it's actually not in the Bible, which is, side note, this is why it's really important to read the Bible, Um, because a lot of times we end up believing phrases or things that culture is feeding us, and we think it's in the Bible, but it's not really in the Bible. And the direct opposite, actually, according to the gospel, um, this phrase, the gospel would speak directly opposite to it. Um, The truth is, Christ actually does the exact opposite. He helps the helpless, um, he helps the helpless, he helps the people that were dead in their sins and were not even capable of ever even attaining life. So God doesn't just help those who help themselves, he helped those who can't even help themselves. I want to start by saying this this morning, if you feel like, man, I'm just, I'm so deep in this rut or in this hole, and look, it doesn't even have to be like this dark place in your life. Maybe you've just been struggling with one simple thing over and over and over, and it seems like you can't break free of it. I want you to understand that according to the gospel and outside of Christ, you are dead. (laughs) And there is absolutely nothing that you can do to attain life unless God himself intervenes. And so that's what I want to talk about. This morning. So before we talk about life, that yes, the gospel gives us life. Before we talk about the good news, we got to talk about the bad news. So I don't know if, if you're anything like me in here. If somebody asks me this question, hey, you want the bad news first or you want the good news? I always want the bad news first. Give me the bad news and then cheer me up with the good news so I don't feel so bad about myself after this. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to just lay it out there. I'm going to give you the bad news, okay? And then we're going to kind of all wrap it up with the good news. And here's the truth. The good news is a whole lot better once you understand how depraved you really are and how dead you really are without Christ. So if you have a Bible... Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I am literally, we're going to take 10 verses, and instead of me having like three points or four points or anything like that, we're just going to walk through each verse very slowly and carefully. Because I've told you at the very beginning of this series that the whole goal and the whole intention of us walking through a book of the Bible is so that hopefully you can walk out of these doors and you really understand what's going on in the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and it says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Let's pause there. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Trespasses and sins is the exact same word, and so Paul is just going to emphasize a point. You were dead in your filthy, rotten sin. Now, I want you To realize something, there's a specific word that Paul decides to use, and it's the second word in this sentence, and it says, and you, and you were dead. So when we start thinking about sin, most of us start thinking about, not us, we start thinking about, man, I really wish my wife was here to hear this message, (laughs) or I really wish my sister was here to hear this message, or if my neighbor could just hear how bad off he is, then maybe his life would change. Listen, I want to get this across um, this morning everything that paul's going to talk about and everything that we read in the scriptures this morning and Everything that god wants to communicate to you this morning. He's talking to you Okay, he's not talking to your wife. He's not talking to your husband. He's not talking to your neighbor He's not talking to the person that you wish was here and they're not here He wants to speak specifically to you this morning. So when he says and you Were dead in your sins. I want you to put yourself in this position but let me, let me show you how this kind of plays out, because a lot of us don't really think we're that bad, right? So the other day, I'm sitting on the couch, and my family is a huge Ninja Warrior fan, okay? American Ninja Warriors and usually the way that we watch TV is probably not how many families watch TV. It's, it takes us, if the show's about 45 minutes, it takes us about nine hours to finish it. Okay, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's pause, stop, pause, stop, get a juice box, pause, get goldfish. This one's over here, putting bouncy balls and flushing them down the toilet. True story, Peter really did that. Um, all kinds of stuff. So we're sitting down watching the show, and the boys are kind of off in their room. And I hear them yelling at each other in the room. And I can't remember what they're yelling at, but they're screaming at each other, arguing over something. And I I walk in the room as they're arguing, and I yell at them for yelling. I'm like, stop yelling! (laughs) And then Isaac looks at me with tears in his eyes. He's like, but you're yelling at me. And in the moment, I feel like my yelling is justified because I'm yelling at them to stop yelling. (laughs) You know what I mean? And you're like, well, it's justified because I'm telling you what to do, son. And then it dawns at me, on me, I'm yelling at them to stop yelling, and I'm doing the very thing that I'm telling them not to do, right? And so see how it plays out in our mind a lot of times? We don't really think that we're that bad, but I want you to put yourself in these kind of situations. Let me give you another example. Um, throughout the history of this church, I've done a good bit of marriage counseling, and I have never sat down with a couple where the husband looks at me and says, you know what, before we get this thing started, it's not me. It's just not me. It's all her. <laughs> or I've never, we've never sat down in marriage counseling or the husband has looked at me and says, hold on, you know what, Pastor Zach, I can solve this for you really quickly. It has nothing to do with her. It's all me. <laughs> like that has never happened. Every single time that we're doing marriage counseling or every single time we're counseling people through things, usually in their mind, the problem is never theirs, it's their spouse's right? It's never like, well, if they could just change this, then everything will be okay. And here's what God wants to do. He wants to flip all this around this morning. He wants to put you as the centerpiece. He wants you to focus on yourself. So I know naturally as human beings, what we do is when we hear about sin, when we hear about depravity, when we hear about all these things, we like to tend towards, towards thinking about other people rather than thinking about ourselves. So I could go and give you example after example, but I just want this phrase to resonate with you this morning. You were dead. I don't care if you grew up in church. I don't care if you got saved at five years old. At one point before you met Christ, you were spiritually dead and there was nothing that you could do on your own accord to give yourself life. You were dead. Now, it also kind of works this way. Most of us think that sin is a set of bad things that we do, right? It's just a set of bad things we do. It's stealing. It's racism. It's adultery. It's rooting for Alabama football. (laughs) It's eating at the Chinese place in Crowley. That is pure sin. If you own the Chinese restaurant, I'm sorry. (laughs) But I almost died. I'm seriously, I almost died there. I ate. I probably should stop now. Somebody's probably listening to this. Um, Sin is not necessarily an action that we do sin is who we are in our nature we do bad things not because it's bad things to do we do bad things because by nature we are by nature we are sinful beings so so let's put it this way we're not sinners because we sin we sin because we are sinners we're not sinners because we sin we sin because we are sinners let me prove it to you you see this in your kids all the time right Nobody ever taught your two-year-old how to slap their older brother in the face. Never in my life, I have a two-year-old, Peter, and if you've met Peter, he's very active, okay? He's a very active child, and sometimes it amazes me within the home how many times Claire and I tell this boy, no. (laughs) Like, how many times a day we say no? Never in our lives, in the history of being parents, have we walked around with Peter, and Peter's walked, and we're just like, yes, Peter. Yes, Peter, good job. Pe- yes, Peter, keep doing it. It's usually like, no, don't put bouncy balls in the toilet. No, you cannot hit your sister. Or no, you cannot have more melt. He calls milk melt. <laughs> you, cannot have, you cannot have more melt. No. But nobody trains our children to be bad, Right? You never sit down as parents and be like, okay, listen, son, when you're arguing with your brother, all you got to do is clench the fist. And when you you feel like you have no comeback, you just hit him because that's what men do. We don't teach them how to do this, right? They just naturally do it. It just comes out of them. We're sinners not because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Our nature is to be evil. Our nature is to be bad. Let me give it to you another way ever clean out your refrigerator and as you're cleaning it out all the way in the back of the refrigerator you see this tupperware you're like oh god how long has that been there (laughs) how long has that been there and you open it and it's like this piece of steak and if you're a man you're like oh i gotta give it the sniff test at least you know and you smell it you pass out like four hours later you get back up now in your mind is the solution in your mind to go okay i really want to eat this steak again although it's rotting. So I'm just going to lather it up with sauce and seasoning and maybe recook it in hope that it will taste good again. Like nobody does that, right? The first thing that you do is when you see that Tupperware thing, you probably don't even smell it. You just chunk it in the trash, right? Now this meat that has been in the fridge, you can preserve it for a little while, You can hold on to it for a few days, but that meat is destined to rot, right? It is destined to rot. Why? Because it's dead. It's dead. And here's the thing. In our nature, we are spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead. And because of religion, because of good manners, we can try to cover ourselves up for a while. We could put spices on it. We could put some seasoning on it. We could put some flavor on it and it may taste and look good for a little while but if you are not alive in Christ, eventually the smell of your life and the presence that you portray towards everyone else will come out and everyone else will see that you're really dead. You're not genuinely alive. We may learn to cover up the stench areas in our life. We may learn to hide for a little while and pride may continue to push us down but sooner or later... It's going to catch up with you. Here's the truth. Even if nobody ever finds out, it continually wreaks havoc in your own soul, doesn't it? Like it continually brings condemnation and shame and guilt, and you feel like you can't have that intimacy with Christ because there is just this piece of you that is rotting and broken inside. So before we move forward, I want this phrase to resonate with you. You are were dead you were dead and spiritually on your own accord there was nothing that you could do to breathe life back into yourself and because you were spiritually dead Ephesians 2 2 is going to show us what spiritual death looks like so Ephesians 2 says in which you once walked following the course of this world so what does it mean to follow the course of this world? What does it genuinely mean? You hear phrases all the time. Well, that's just worldly or they're following the world. And what, what does that really mean? St. Augustine put it this way. He said, our world marches to the drumbeat of three things. Three things. Money, sex, and power. Money, sex, and power. Our world marches to the drumbeat of three things. Money, sex, and power. Money meaning the world is, is obsessed with getting more of it, right? Man, we... we 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 will spend time less with our family, we will avoid relationships, we will do things that probably are unethical just to get more of it because we are obsessed with it. Sex, we obey the desires of our body regardless of the consequences. So and then power. We are obsessed with power and we're always looking for ways to get more. So maybe I find the people that are always pursuing more power are usually the most insecure people. So our world marches to the drumbeat of three things, money, sex, and power. And this is what following the course of the world looks like. So when you are in death, death and destruction is all you're capable of pursuing. It's all you're capable of pursuing. Now, if we finish the verse, we'll see clearly that this is proven to be true. So this is Ephesians 2, verse 2 through 3. It says, following the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the of disobedience among whom we all, here's another one, among whom we all once lived. So not just some of you, he's saying all of whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, this verse is not something that we like just plaster on coffee cups, right? And we were, by nature, children of wrath. That just gets me out of bed in the morning. I love that verse. It's like nobody's memorizing that verse, right? It's not like your favorite go-to verse. Like, man, when I just feel like I'm in the slumps, I just go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. And we were, by nature, children of wrath, following of this world. I think for some of us in here, we don't right? That we deserve wrath that we deserve destruction. We deserve an eternity separated from Christ because our nature is death. Some of us don't like to hear it, but every single person in this room, regardless of where you are at right now, has committed treason against God. Every single person. We've kicked God off the throne and we've placed ourselves in his place. We made our desires the Lord of our life and not his will. Every single person has committed treason in some way, shape, or form. Everyone deserves the wrath of God. Everyone. You know, many men feel that it's impossible to say no to pornography. They feel like the desire is just too strong sometimes, right? And I tell them all the time, um, I always tell them they can turn lost off for porn like a light switch. You can turn it off just like that. And the response is like, what? How? Let me me paint the scenario for you. Imagine this. You're looking at porn and suddenly your mom walks in. The desire to look at porn is instantly gone, right? Now, why is it gone? Your desire turns off for a light switch. Now, your lust for porn hasn't gone away, but the fear of being caught was greater than the lust for the image and it drove it out, right? So now think about this in relation to God. You know that God is always watching, But the thought of what he thinks about you was not enough to turn you from your sin. This is why God says by nature we are children of wrath. And this is why we deserve it. If you look at God as seriously as you took your mother, you wouldn't look at pornography. Now here's the truth. You've minimized God to the point that the thought of his presence doesn't make you hesitate your sin anymore. So this is why by nature we deserve the wrath of God. Because in the moment, and you can place yourself in any kind of scenario, whatever it may be, our desires at times overpower the presence and work of God in our lives, and we choose death. Rather than choosing Christ. And some of you don't like to hear the fact that you deserve wrath, but you need to hear it because it's the truth. And ultimately, in the end, the truth will set you free. And I think, as we get to it, We're going to get to about verse 4 in just a moment. In two words, are about to change everything. But the reason that I want you to understand that you were spiritually dead and you deserve wrath is because it makes grace and mercy that God extends you so much more valuable. When you realize, like, man, I was that dark. I was that depraved. I was that sinful. I was that hopeless. And then we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, two words. But God but God. In light of the wrath that we deserve, allow these words to sink down this morning. But God. So here's the truth. According to the gospel, you are helpless, but you're not hopeless. You're helpless, but you're not hopeless. In your own, if you're trying to pursue life on your own, outside of Christ, you are helpless but in Christ you are hopeless. And it says this, continue the verse, Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So truth is, if our hearts don't explode in worship, because we, the truth is we have no concept of how much mercy we have been given. So when we realize how much grace and mercy we have been given, our hearts should just explode in worship towards God. And this is why in the very beginning of this sermon and even in this text that I wanted you to understand, like, how dead you really were. Like, how much wrath that we actually deserve from God. And there is this part that as long as you are in Christ, but God being so rich in grace and mercy. Think about it this way. We deserve wrath, but two words change everything for us. But God. I want you to understand that Jesus actually absorbed hell into himself so that you wouldn't have to. Like on the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God the Father and hell itself so that we would not have to go there. Like that's how much he loves us. There is this moment of despair even in Jesus as he hangs on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So even in that moment that he absorbs hell and all the wrath that we deserve, it's almost as if God turns his head and can't watch for a moment. And Jesus has extended. I want you to take the darkest moment of your life, the thing that you regret the most, and put these two words in context with it, but God. And then let that resonate with you. And so, whatever excuse you have this morning for saying, man, I just, I'm not diving all in with my relationship with Jesus, community is not important to me, or whatever it may be, put those two words into the darkest moment of your life and then rethink everything. But God, Ephesians 2 5 continues, even when we were dead in our trespasses, and then here's the good part, He made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were dead, He made us alive together with Christ. I want you to notice something in this text. Do you notice that death is now past tense? (laughs) Even when we were dead, so when we were dead, death is not who we are anymore. In that moment that you receive Christ, but God steps in, death is now past tense. It's not who you are anymore. You're no longer anymore. In Christ Christ. Death is in the past, and now life is given. And the penalty for our sin is death, but God steps in. And then it's kind of like Paul just throws this sentence in there. In the end of uh, Ephesians 2, verse 5, it says, By grace you have been saved. I just want to remind you of this. By grace you have been saved. Now meaning this. By grace, which means you had nothing to do with the saving part. We were dead. I don't know the last time you checked, but dead people don't do things. Dead people don't decide not to be dead anymore. Hey, I just feel like not being dead anymore. I think I'm going to come alive today. Like when you're dead, you're dead. You can't make any decisions. You don't get to decide anything. So Paul wants to emphasize this point that the grace is so huge that you've been extended. By grace, you have been saved. You didn't decide you wanted to know God. God stepped in in his grace and mercy and chose you. This is why it's so huge. Before we go on, just so you kind of know how the rest of this is going to play out, the first three chapters of Ephesians are very theological. So Paul's just going to want to remind us of a bunch of things. Like I just want to remind you how great the salvation that you have today actually is. And I think a lot of times we just need to be reminded of that because for us it's just become a term, it's just become a word. I'm a Christian, oh, I'm saved, God saved me. But when you really begin to understand the implications of that, it should change the landscape of your life. It should change your thought process, the way that you respond and react towards people because you realize how much grace and mercy God has actually extended towards you. You were dead and God made you. Alive. And then Ephesians 2, 6 continues, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. So not only does he save us from our death and from our depravity, now he seats us next to him. So think about it this way. Salvation, some would call it like it's a new birth, right? It's a, you becoming new. Um, the new birth is a lot like your first birth. Meaning this, you had nothing to do with your first birth, right? God and your parents had everything to do with that. You had nothing to do with it. You just came into this world. You did not decide to be born one day, did you? You didn't be like, hey, today's the day that I just want to enter in the world. You were dead. Your new birth is a lot like your first birth. Paul says, as long as Christ is seated at the right hand of God, you can be secure in your salvation. Let's continue. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. So here's what this means. I love this verse. So it says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. So here's what this means. In heaven... When we're seated with Christ, we'll get to tell stories of redemption and the grace and the mercy that we've received. Do you realize not even the angels get to do that? The angels are jealous of the grace and the redemption that we get to have. They don't get to have it. We get to sit around for ages and Christ continues to pour out his grace and his mercy on us. The book of Revelations actually says that Jesus' name will be imprinted on our foreheads in heaven. That his name will be on our foreheads. So here's what this means. I won't have a sign on my head when I get to, cur- when I get to heaven and it says, Man of Faith, Man of Courage, or Great Husband, or Pastor of OSC Crowley. When you get to heaven, it's, you're not going to have a name that says, Oh, Mother of Five, or whatever it is. It's just going to say, Jesus. It's going to say His name. And I think it's there ultimately for us to get to understand that, man, this mercy and grace that has been afforded to us is all because of Him. So today I want you to see just how dead you were before Christ. And when you're able to see this, you begin to explode with celebration. So if you're in here this morning and you're saying, man, I... Still dead. I don't know Jesus, man, this is an invitation to, today for you to know Him. If you're, in him to, if you're in Christ and you know Jesus today, but you're like, man, I'm just in a slump, I feel like I'm stagnant, I feel like I'm not going anywhere. Hopefully that this will resonate with you this morning to be like man, the mercy and the grace that God has afforded me is so big, is so huge, and hopefully we can walk out of here and celebrate and explode and worship. Now Paul's about to summarize everything that he's been teaching us in verse 8. It says this, Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So by grace, through faith, you've been saved. So I want you to see four crucial things about life and salvation through this verse. Number one, the cause of salvation is grace. The cause of salvation is grace. If you're saved, it's because God woke you up and restored you to your senses one day. You got saved not because you earned it, not because you worked for it, not because you tried hard enough. God intervened in the middle of your depravity and said, today, I'm going to save you. And a lot of us get caught up in that within religion, right? Well, man, if I can just work, if I can just do this, if I can just prove myself, if I can just earn a seat in heaven... Paul says clearly in Ephesians two, verse eight: "By grace saved." And then he even continues, "And this is not your own doing; it is a gift from God." So, number one, the cause of salvation is grace. Number two, the means of salvation is faith. The means of salvation is faith. Faith is the belief that Christ has done it all and that it's finished. And some of you are like, man, I just don't know how to have faith in Christ. I don't know how to believe in Jesus. Let me explain it to you this way. Faith is like the chair that you're sitting in right now. None of you, before you sat in that chair, like thought like 10 minutes, like, man, is this chair going to hold me up? (laughs) Is this chair going to sustain my weight? Is it going to hold me? Every single person in here today just assumed the very fact that when I sit down in this chair, it's going to hold me up, right? Right? It's going to, maybe not some of you, I don't know. But the truth is, most of us that walked in here, when we sat down in that chair, it wasn't like this thought process that played through our mind. Is this going to sustain me? Is this going to hold my weight? Is this going to carry me? You just sat down. You had faith that that chair was going to hold you. And listen, this is how simple the gospel is. Christ extends grace, and you believe, and that's it. That's it. This is why so many times I was talking with some of our guys the other day. One of the reasons in the very beginning stages of me really trying to sift through and uh, find out like what God wanted me to do with my life. One of the first things actually was not ministry. It was not being a pastor. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why I didn't want to. One of the main reasons I didn't want to be is because everybody always looked at pastors as like, you got to talk a certain way. You got to dress a certain way. You got to act a certain way around people. You can't be real. You can't have a real life. Everything has to be perfect. And when I saw that, I'm like, I don't want that. <laughs> I just don't want that. So you know what I did? I kind of went on, I just flipped it around and said, you know what? I believe so many people get caught up in that. Let's live completely different, let's fall in love with Jesus. And not make it about all these rules and regulations and things that I have to do. And dress a certain way and look a certain way and talk a certain way. And this is what we do a lot of times with the gospel. Be like, well, I don't know if you're really saved. Did you get baptized on the third day? Did you pray in tongues for five? I mean, I don't know. What did it look like? The gospel clearly says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing and it is a gift of God. End of story. That's it. So the means of salvation comes by grace, and then it's you simply believing in God. I had one of our teachers in my Bible college, he literally got up and he preached the message, and it was simply this The hardest thing about the gospel for most people is just simply believing it. Like, could it be that good that all we have to do is receive the grace and simply believe in Christ? It's that good, and it's that simple. Number three. Now, here's where we're going to flip it around a little bit. The effects of salvation are good works. The effects of salvation are good works. So we're not saved by good works, but because we have been saved, good works follow. So we're not saved by what we do or how much we volunteer or serve or pray or any of those things. But if you genuinely have been saved, If you have been afforded this great grace, then you realize I've been given something so good, now I need to do something. Now I need to respond to this. So the effects of salvation are good works. Ephesians 2.10 puts it this way. For we are his workmanship. That word workmanship actually in Greek, if it were to be translated, it actually means poetry. So you could read it as for we are his poetry. I like the word workmanship better though. (laughs) For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, salvation is by faith, but it will always produce good works. Always. So here's what this means. If you're saved, God is recreating you and filling you with his desires. Or let me put it this way. We're not saved by good works, but we're validated by good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're validated by those good works. We're saved by faith, and the effect is good works. So here's what this means. When you understand this great grace and mercy that you've been afforded, you begin to reevaluate your life. And you begin to understand and you begin to realize, I was put on this earth for a very specific reason. God saved me, he gave me a gift, and now what am I supposed to do with it? So this is the question that some of us need to walk out of here with. Like, what do I do with this genuine, incredible gift that I've been given? You know, I believe as Christians, and my dad used to say this all the time, that a lot of us, and we don't need like some fresh revelation from God. Some of us, we read the Bible and God, just give me a word, just give me a word. Or, God, I just need to hear from you. I need you to speak to me. And those are all things to look forward to and to want to eagerly desire. But the truth is, because we live in America as Christians, and the gospel and the good news is readily available to us, chances are you probably just need to act on what you already know. For many of us, we don't need a fresh revelation. We We know the Bible. We know the scriptures. We know what we should be doing. For many of us, we're just not doing it. Number four, there's a promise of salvation and then what God started, he'll finish. So here's what this means. If God gave you the gift of salvation, he's not just gonna give it to you and then say, oh, you screwed up and then take it away from you. He actually promises to be with you to the very end until you are complete. Until glorification happens, which is just a fancy theological term for death. <laughs> you die. You die and you're going to spend eternity with Jesus, and that's when you are complete, and that's when you are done. But listen, I want you to rest in this. If Jesus has saved you, he's going to finish it. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to walk out on you. This passage actually ends by giving you a secret to releasing the incredible power of salvation in your life. It says you're a work of God, and he's ordained you to walk in good works. Now, some of you in here, you say, well, that's nice, but you know what? I feel so wicked. I feel so dirty. I feel so ashamed. Let me put this whole chapter together in one sentence or two sentences. You and I are people made completely alive, but we still live in a body of death. We're simultaneously more wicked than we realize and more accepted and alive than we realize. So the reason sometimes like death still resonates with us is because we live in a body of death. It's deteriorating, it's aging, it's falling apart. I'm 30 years old now. I feel so old. (laughs) I put a pool together yesterday for my kids and like the whole, we're out there maybe, I don't know, eight, nine hours doing this thing. And I, the whole time, I mean, I was hot. I was tired. At one point, uh, as I'm, you fill the water up about one to two inches, and then you have to get in the pool and slide out all the liner. And my boys are looking over, and at one point, I'm just laying face first in it. And Eli's like, What's wrong, Dad? I'm like, I'm resting, son. <laughs> I'm resting. But we live in a body of death because I woke up this morning. I'm like, What is wrong with my calves? <laughs> They hurt so bad. But the truth is in Christ, regardless we live in a body of death or not, we have more power in us than we could ever dream if we've been saved. You have a spirit of resurrection life clothed in a body of depraved death. Meaning this, Romans 6 puts it very simple for us. Because we are in Christ, we are now dead to sin and we're alive in Christ. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. That means if you believe the gospel that your sin has been killed in Christ and your spirit is now alive in Christ. So let me kind of bring this to a close. If we want to truly experience life, we must understand the great grace and mercy that we've been afforded. We must understand that before Christ, we were helpless but we're not hopeless.